Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you joined us today as we try to answer some more of your questions from the Bible or about the Bible. Uh, that's what we do each week. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain. We take phone calls or uh, you can get on the website and tell us what you'd like us to talk about and we'll try to answer your questions. Uh, the numbers will be at the bottom of the screen throughout the program. You can use them anytime. And we get all kinds of questions, uh, many specifically about the Bible and many about the principles in the Bible and how they apply to everyday life. And we'll try to find you a Bible answer to whatever your question is. But you decide what we talk about on Know Your Bible. So get in touch with us and let us know. Let me introduce the man that helps me answer questions each week, Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. we got plenty of questions saved up, and uh, we'll see if we can get as many done we as do. we can. I think we do, yeah. Uh, let me give our viewing audience one first. They always get one to start the show, a little trivia question. And today's question is, who asked Jesus to do his first miracle. Somebody requested it, and we'll tell you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that little bit of Bible information, and I think we're going to let Toby have the first one today, so yeah, take bit off. Of, bit of a genealogical <laughs> question. Uh, viewer would like to know, uh, when people lived over 800 years, what would they look like and what would they do? Well, that's kind of an interesting question, uh, and one which makes you think when you look at the early gene genealogies, especially in the early part of Genesis uh, pre-flood, the humans lived hundreds and hundreds of years, and so it was not uncommon to live centuries and centuries, and for us today, the lifespan is not nearly that long, and for the few people that do live that long, it seems like uh, when you get to that age, there's just not much uh, energy left. <laughs> there's just not a lot of ability left of productivity. And so what would you possibly do for another several hundred years added on to that? Well, uh, my answer is really going to be speculative. Uh, Noah lived to age 950. <coughs> Uh, Genesis 5.27 records Methuselah, the oldest uh, human being that's recorded in the Bible, uh, living to age 969. And that just blows the mind, almost a full millennia there, and uh, trying to extrapolate <laughs> what he would have looked like and what he would have done and how he would have interacted with generation after generation uh, is uh, <coughs> really beyond what we can comprehend. I have a picture here of uh, someone in recent uh, times. Uh, she passed away a few years ago. Her name is Jeanne Comment. She was from France. Uh, she lived 122 years, 164 days. And old Jean, she, she's 122, but uh, she doesn't look like she had much spunk left in her. Well, um, what exactly would have happened and how exactly would they have gone about it? Um, 
first thing that we can realize is that the human body is an incredible creation, an incredible feat of engineering. And uh, given the right environment conditions and the right uh, DNA, uh, it could have lasted uh, hundreds and hundreds of years quite easily. Uh, when we examine the scriptures, we, we note that Noah was reproducing at age 500. He built the ark when he was 600. And so certainly in this pre-flood era, there was something in the environment and probably something within the DNA that was far different than what we know today. Uh, much more pure as far as the DNA goes and, and uh, the environment was much more perfect and much more what God intended. Um, and of course it was uh, pre-flood. What do they look like? They probably looked older. Did they look as advanced as, you know, was, was the world as hard on them? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what did they do? Well, it seems they did whatever they had the strength to do. And I suppose that's true still today. Uh, man no longer lives that long. Uh, we're told in, uh, let's look at uh, Psalm chapter 90 and verse 10 together. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, and yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And regardless of how long we live, 70, 80, 90 years, or 7, 800, 900 years, uh, all of that is a very small drop in the bucket compared to eternity. So, speculative at best, but that's my answer. All righty. Uh, a viewer wants to know, what does the Bible say about being gay? And I'm going to answer that specific question because we get this question a lot about homosexuality and we've discussed it many different ways. But uh, this viewer asked it in an interesting way, what's the Bible say about being gay? And my answer is very easy. The explanation is a little harder, but the answer is very easy. The Bible says nothing, absolutely nothing about being gay. Uh, that's a fairly modern invention. Uh, that someone is gay, that that's who they are. The Bible doesn't talk about it that way at all. The, the Bible does talk about uh, the practice of homosexuality, uh, the act of homosexuality, and mentions that as a sin and a perversion of what's natural, uh, but it never talks about that's who someone is. Uh, let me show you one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that lists a number of sins. And included in this list is the practice of homosexuality. Uh, just read this with me. It says, Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. But the Bible nowhere else talks about that's who someone is. It talks about all of those as acts. All of those are things that people do that are wrong. And then the very next verse says to the Corinthians, you people used to do those things. But now you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. You quit doing those things. And that's the way the Bible talks about homosexuality. It never talks about anyone being gay. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. You know, a lot of, a lot of times in our culture today, we we have taken on sin as almost a part of who I am. It's unchangeable. It's irreversible, and and that's simply not what the Bible says. That's the the one sin we seem to have done that with, Definitely. and made it a personality instead of a 
practice or an act, and right. it's very difficult to argue with that. Absolutely. It cha changes yeah. the argument completely. Sure, sure. But the Bible doesn't talk about uh, it like that. That's a good answer. <laughs> exactly right. All right. Okay, uh, next question is, should we not be studying both the Old Testament and the New Testament equally? Is the Old Testament irrelevant or still in force? Okay, well, there, this is kind of a two-question-in-one-question kind of a, a inquiry here, so let me take it one part at a time. The first part is, uh, should we not be studying both the Old Testament and the New Testament equally? And my answer to that is uh, aff affirmative yes. I think there are a great deal of, of good that come from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Romans chapter 15 verse 4 is not a verse we have on the screen for you, but one you can look up at home. Paul says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the encouragement of th taught in the Scriptures, uh, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. There are great lessons that come from the story of David and Goliath, the story of the kings and the prophets and, and great men of faith like Daniel. And, and there are countless number of lessons that we can learn. As a father with young children, I love the Old Testament for it's so uh, rich with stories of real people and how they interacted with God. It's very encouraging and faith building. So absolutely, I think there's a great deal of value. Uh, now, the second part of the question is a little different. Is it still in force? Uh, that is, does it still apply to us today? And um, absolutely, I say to that, in no way. And I also add to that, thank God that it doesn't apply. Because when you go through the Old Testament with its over 600 laws and regulations, commands, and principles and precepts, uh, there are just an overwhelming number of things that one must do, and it, it sets the absolute standard of God's perfection and holiness, and the number one lesson we learn from that is there's no way we could ever keep that 100%. Now, there are some things that some people like to pick out of the Old Testament, but I would say to that, if you're going to pick one, you have to pick all of it, right? And that's God's perfect standard. We just can't pick the parts that we like. Um, and so if you're going to be in the Old Testament and you're going to make it relevant and binding to us today, you've got to do it 100%. Uh, that's God's standard is 100% compliance. Um, and the only person that we know of that, Je that ever fulfilled that perfect standard was, of course, Jesus. Uh, and he, d he lived the standard we could never meet. Uh, as such, his blood was able to fully pay uh, the need of our sin, the debt of our sin, and uh, meet the demands of the Old Testament. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. He met every one of those 600 plus commands and standards perfectly. And so as New Testament Christians, we live under the law of grace that came through Christ, and that's the only way. So let's look at a verse together uh, from uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Okay. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Uh, let me talk about a good way to study the Bible. And we always take just a little bit of time out of our questions to recommend a home Bible study course. We've got some free Bible study materials uh, that we're happy to send to you and let you study the Bible at home. 
we like to cover as many questions as we can each week, but if we were on for a hundred years we'd just scratch the surface of what the Bible talks about. So we advocate home Bible study and we've got a number of courses that make that easy for you and very interesting. See the first course on the screen here now, there are eight lessons in it and it just introduces you to the Bible. If you ever wondered what, in fact we had a question about the Old Testament and the New Testament just a moment ago, that's what this course starts with. It explains the Old and then the New, helps you see the difference and understand what they're about. And then it goes on to a number of other topics in the Bible. So, a good way to learn the Bible, get familiar with it and get a regular habit of Bible study. So, we provide that absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is call that number on your screen or log on to the website, say you'd like that free course and we'll get you one in the mail and we think you'll enjoy studying it. All right, viewer wants to know, does it make any difference? Make any difference which church or faith you belong to? Well, that's a, certainly a timely question because of our society and our tolerant attitudes. Uh, a lot of people say it doesn't matter as long as you're doing something that makes you feel good, uh, as long as you're part of some religion, it doesn't matter who you worship or what, and just any of the world religions are fine and they all get us to the same God and you've, you've heard all that. Well, this person says, does it really make any difference which church or faith you belong to? And my answer is it certainly does. Uh, but we need to make sure we're answering that for the right reasons. Uh, like I said, some people pick a church or a, a, a faith because they like it, because it's fun, because it feels good, because uh, that's what they've always done. But it's a little more important than that. And let's talk about the most important thing uh, is who you're worshiping. Uh, John 14.6 is a key verse. Jesus said in that verse, He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, if you're going to select a church or faith uh, that worships someone else or thinks someone else or their system is going to get you to Heaven or get you to God uh, and doesn't honor Jesus in that way, you're in the wrong place. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, beyond that, making sure it's a good Christian church that believes Jesus is the only way, the Son of God. Uh, another thing that the church is, is the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, the church is the institution that upholds God's truth. Uh, so, you want to look for a church that teaches the truth and studies the Bible and uh, as closely as it possibly can and does things in scriptural ways. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail there. I'll just say that's a tip for when you're selecting a church. Get one that worships Jesus as the only Lord. Uh, get one that studies the Bible and does things in scriptural ways. And thirdly, I'd say a purpose of a church is fellowship and support. Uh, it's God's way on earth to keep us encouraged and help us serve others. Uh, so, you need to find one that is welcoming and uh, uh, fellowships with you and supports you in the things that you need. Uh, all of those things will make a good church. So, yes, it does matter what church or faith you belong to. Make sure you select wisely. Steve, I heard somebody say one time that Christianity is an exclusive religion, but it's the most inclusive exclusive religion. <laughs> and that verse you pointed out is just exactly right. Jesus was, like C.S. Lewis said, liar, lord, or lunatic. I mean, he was either he was who he said he was or he wasn't, but he, he calls all of us. Yep, that's, that's 
and that's not popular today that's because right. yeah. we don't want anything that's yeah. uh, exclusive. The only way, right? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, someone wants a verse explanation. A viewer asked, "Please explain 2 Timothy chapter one verse five. Okay. Well, let's uh, look at that verse together on the screen first. And uh, here Paul is writing, and he's writing to the uh, evangelist Timothy, and he says, "This I have been reminded of your sincere faith." which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Well, if you don't know the context of that situation, you turn to Acts chapter 16 in your Bible, and you'll note the beginning of this unique relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Uh, Paul was his mentor, uh, his uh, in, uh, trainer. He, he uh, uh, guided him. He taught him, and he uh, really modeled a lot of things for Timothy. Um, it, Timothy started out, his mother was a Jewish woman, his father was a Greek, Acts 16 tells us, and uh, they were converted in the city of uh, Lystra. Um, it was a Roman city. And Timothy's name actually means one who honors God. So uh, we don't know all of the details, but we can kind of uh, piece together that Timothy was a young man who had a woman, uh, a mother in his life who feared God and who wanted to do what was right and uh, strove, as 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 says, uh, to teach him the scriptures and to teach him God's ways. And when they met Paul uh, in Lystra, uh, then Paul was able to further carry the training which he had to convert them to Christianity and then uh, take him actually on some missionary journeys with him. And so it was a very wonderful thing and Timothy was no doubt a leader in the very early church. And we know that First and Second Timothy are Paul's letters to him. So in this verse Paul is praising both his mother and his grandmother for their impact and their influence in his young life. And I think there are some great lessons here, especially for parents and grandparents who are raising children and who are, who are doing their best to raise their children uh, according to God's standard and in a way that they teach their children to love God, to revere God and respect God. So some valuable lessons. Uh, number one, never doubt your, <coughs> your ability to influence someone else in their faith. Uh, Lois and Eunice influenced Timothy, and of course Paul influenced Timothy, and no doubt Timothy went on to influence uh, many other Christians and convert many to Christianity. Uh, second, it's never too early to start training your children about God. Uh, I do this with my own children. When I point out things in the world, the beautiful flowers or the sunset, I ask them, isn't that interesting how God made that? And I get in their minds working that God is the source of everything. And the third is that your children will imitate your faith or even your lack of faith. Children do what they see done. And so it's a very strong encouragement and a warning for us as parents. So I think those are some lessons. Second Timothy 1 verse 5 is very encouraging for us as parents and grandparents to keep in the faith and continue teaching that to our children. Excellent. Certainly Timothy and his mother and grandmother are great examples Absolutely. for mothers and uh, parents and grandparents today. And a lot of grandparents are taking that responsibility today. A lot more. Uh, yeah, raising right. grandchildren and being responsible for them and all yeah. that. And, uh, good example for it, them. It has an impact. All right. Uh, before I read the next question, let me kind of set the stage. I think a few weeks ago or months ago we had a question about the uh, sanctuary and what is it and is it a holy place? And I forget exactly how we answered that, but the, the basic answer is that in the Old Testament, uh, the holy place, uh, the temple or the tabernacle first, 
uh, was a very specific place where God said, My presence dwells there. And the people had to go through all sorts of preparation to enter the holy place and, uh, or the temple grounds and, and all of that. And somebody asked about current sanctuaries or church buildings or worship centers or whatever. And we said there's a difference. Uh, that's what we call a sanctuary today is really just a place uh, that we use to worship God. But we can do that any place and it's not the, that the place itself is holy. Uh, so, with that background somebody wrote in or called in and gave us this question or comment actually uh, and said, I heard your comments on the meaning of the sanctuary. I would invite you to enter our sanctuary. Uh, you will feel the peace and joy of the real presence residing in the tabernacle. So, this person believes that their sanctuary uh, is a place that if you enter it you'll feel how special it is. You'll know that, that God is there. Well, I appreciate that and I understand that people have uh, attractions to a certain place and they're, they're used to that being uh, the holy place where they worship. Uh, that's what sanctuary means is a holy place or a set apart place. Uh, but I think our original answer is still true. Uh, it's just a building. It's the feelings that we attach to it because of our connections with it. Uh, for instance, I went to a funeral the other day and it happened to be in the old Wichita funeral home that uh, my grandfather was, his service was there over 50 years ago. And I was a young boy and it was, might have been the first funeral I went to, I don't really remember. Uh, but when I walked in there I remembered and I had this feeling that this is kind of a special place. Uh, it's just a building, it's not that attractive actually. Uh, but because of what I had done there uh, I had these feelings. Now, I know that's not exactly like a, a place of worship, but in another sense it is. Uh, I agree that there are some places that feel holy. It fe mm -hmm. feels like a godly place, uh, but that's because of our conditioning. That's because of what we're used to. If we brought somebody from a completely other culture and took them into the most beautiful church building there is, uh, if they weren't used to that they might say, oh, this is a fancy place, but Wouldn't have that what's, connection. what's special about it? Yeah. Uh, so, we learn that is what I'm trying to say. Let me just show you one verse to wrap this one up, Acts 17, 24, uh, where Paul was talking to the people in Athens about gods and what they're like and all that. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. So, you may have a sanctuary where you feel the presence of God, uh, but He doesn't dwell in there. Yes, He's everywhere, I know that, uh, but His presence is not located in a specific place. So, uh, I'm glad you feel good about your sanctuary and every place we worship is special to sure. us. But there's a difference between what the old temple and tabernacle used to be and what there is today. We take our teens <laughs> to a camp in Colorado and there, there's some old uh, old lodges there that aren't really special, but our teens feel a special connection. And you're exactly right. Just sometimes you bond with a certain place and it has a certain feel to it. And, and But you're right. God doesn't <laughs> dwell in those places necessarily as we uh, think of it. Yep, and when you take your teens up on the highest point on the hike and up to the top of the mountain, would you call it a sanctuary right, up there? Right, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's, it's definitely, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's an awe-inspiring kind of place. <laughs> All righty. Uh, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. 
Uh, the Churches of Christ provide this program for you, and we like to mention one or two of our supporters each week. Uh, the Eastwood Church of Christ over in Hutchinson. If you live over there near the State Fair place, uh, the church in Hutch is the Eastwood Church of Christ. Great place to worship. Uh, Jimmy Ray Mead is a minister there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him. Great group of people. And they'd welcome you anytime. They meet at 9 on Sunday mornings for classes for all ages, and then at 10 for worship. Uh, they do a lot of activities in the community and a lot of good over there. If you're looking for a church home, you might drop in and visit them. And uh, if you're not looking for a church home, you might give them a call and tell them you watch Know Your Bible and thank them for providing it for you. Of course, any city you live in, any place in our viewing area, uh, you can probably find a Church of Christ near you, and we invite you to do that. All right, movie question, yes, Toby. Yes, I have an entertainment question. I appreciate <laughs> the, the spirit of this. I'm a Christian, but enjoy watching horror movies. Is this a sin, and should I stop? Well, <laughs> that's, um, that's kind of a hard one to answer. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I've watched horror movies myself, and, and some of them are uh, pretty gory. Horror, horror movie contains a lot of uh, uh, violence and sometimes murder and wickedness. That's kind of what makes it a horror movie. Um, but can I draw the line and say it's a sin? And you got to avoid all appearances of violence, murder, and wickedness. And I say, well, if I, if I said that, I'd have to tell you to not read your Bible because all of that is right there within the Scriptures. So this is a question of wisdom and judgment and discernment. And that's a little bit harder of a line to draw. Um, but when, you're, when you come to watching a movie like this, you ask some different questions. Is this helpful? Is this beneficial? Is this the right thing to put in my heart? Proverbs says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And once you put those things in, you can't just easily forget them. Uh, would I want my children to watch this? Is this something that is, is going to help me in my uh, pursuit of holiness? Well, those are good questions to ask. I also like the, uh, I work with teenagers a lot, I like the, the whatever test. Uh, whatever uh, is what Paul said to the church at Philippi in chapter uh, 4, verse 8. He said, uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so it's important that we put the good in as much as we can and, and, uh, and guard our heart from the bad stuff as much as we uh, can and are able. Let's look at one other verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 together. Paul said, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Good question, and use wisdom when going to the movies, okay? Right, thank you, Toby. Uh, viewers ask an interesting one, why didn't Jesus tell anyone the earth was round? And I guess this person thought, well, 1,500 years later, people still thought the world was flat, so why didn't Jesus save us all that trouble and tell us it was round? My answer is because Jesus didn't repeat himself, and he had already told us that 700 years earlier in Isaiah. Let's look at Isaiah 40, verse 22, and that verse says that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He did tell us the earth was round, and Jesus just didn't feel like repeating it, I right. guess. So, <laughs> thought people should have read that and known it already. If you think about all of the scientific fallacies that Jesus would have had to spend time clearing up, at that point in history, you wouldn't have got anything else done. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of them were already covered in the Bible. We, yeah. just, we just didn't pay attention to That's it right. until yeah. we discovered it ourselves. So. Yeah. <laughs> if they didn't yeah. listen the first time, they probably won't listen the second time. <laughs> yep, it's in there. All right, trivia question. Let's see if you got that one right. The question was, who asked Jesus to do his first miracle? Well, it was his mother. 
And no wonder he had to do it. His mother asked him <laughs> to do it. Uh, she told him at the, the wedding feast that uh, they were out of wine and why didn't he straighten that out and make some water into wine. Uh, and he told her it wasn't time yet for him to start doing miracles, but he relented and did it for his mother. So uh, that's the answer to that. Hope you got that right. Glad you've been with us this week, and we hope you come back next week as we try to answer some more of your questions uh, about the Bible. And we'll, we'll try to cover as many as we can again next week. If you haven't uh, uh, signed up for that correspondence course, we'd invite you to do that today. It'd be a good day to get that started for yourself, and uh, we'll get it right out to you. We're glad you've been with us today. Come back next week, and we'll answer some more questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.